Good evening and welcome to Reflections in the Word with Pastor Ron. Tonight we close out our three-part study on the cross of Calvary. Part one, we talked about the cross. Part two, the crucifixion. And tonight in part three, the topic of discussion is Calvary. You can never get a full picture of the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ without these three C's. The cross, the crucifixion, and Calvary. If ever there was a time that deserves to make the front page in every newspaper, an initiative for world peace dominating the television news cycles, an incident that could direct social media forever, that event would be the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our God is not narcissistic. He doesn't care about the newspaper, TV, or social media coverage of his son's death. His only desire is that Jesus be the center of our hearts each and every day. What happened on Calvary gave us a true picture of God's heart towards creation. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. We learn uh, how Jesus suffered and died at Calvary. It also makes us examine our own hearts towards God. If we listen to the words of the hymn at Calvary, the verse 1 says, Years are spent in vanity and pride. Caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not for me it was he died on Calvary. The verse, go, the chorus of that particular hymn goes on to say that mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Many of us can relate to these words, and we just say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, for all that he's done for us. What he's done for us, we never will forget, for he purchased our salvation on a cross. When we look at not only that hymn, but in all the hymns surrounding the cross, crucifixion, and Calvary, there the three C's, there's a personal uh, 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 engagement of our hearts when we think about those three c's the cross the crucifixion and calvary something happens on the inside and when the hymnist wrote these faithful songs i'm sure that there was a personal note for him in each of the hymns if we take a look at some of the hymns of the church lead me to calvary the writer says these words, King of my life, I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be. When we think about the hymn, there is a fountain. It says there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilt and stains. How about this chorus? Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he washed us 
whiter than snow. And what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I, I don't know which one of the hymns is your favorite, but they all speak to our hearts in a very, very personal way. So oftentimes when we sing them, we sing them as if we don't even know what we're singing about. But when you think of what all, of all that Jesus had gone through to purchase our salvation, those words put to uh, 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 notes and, and put to chords should mean a whole lot to us when we think about what really happened. Oh, oh, wait a minute. And let us not forget the old rugged cross. It says on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And, 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 and so on that hill, that hill that the songwriter was writing about was a hill, and it was called Calvary. Now, Calvary, the hill outside of the city walls of ancient Jerusalem, where Jesus was crucified, the Semitic, I'm sorry, the Semitic name of the site was Golgotha. In other words, Calvary is Latin. Golgotha is Hebrew for skull. In Matthew 27 and 33, Mark 15 and 22, and John 19 and 17, they all refer to Calvary as the place of the skull. However, in Luke 23 and 33, it records the shorter version of that name more accurately translated to mean just skull. It was probably called this because of the habitual executions which occurred on this hill. And also because when we look at it on the cliff of that mountain, it looked like a skull. And there they crucified our Savior. Other than the name Calvary, little is known about the place. But always remember this. And don't forget it. We are the ones to blame for the Lord's suffering. He knew no sin. He was a, the lamb without a spot or wrinkle. We are the ones to blame for the Lord's suffering. We all caused the pain. He wore my crown full of thorns. And Jesus carried our cross. People will never appreciate the real passion of Christ until they realize that they caused it. And until you realize that you caused his suffering, you will never learn to appreciate his suffering. Wounded for me, all because he was wounded for me. Even in Isaiah 53rd chapter, it says that he was wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Just think of all that Jesus went through in his suffering just to redeem us. Now, when we think about Calvary, Calvary was the place of physical suffering. As taught last week, crucifixion did not start at Calvary but was a process carried out by a team of specialized and brutal soldiers. Amen. 
to form a capital punishment or what we call nowadays the death penalty. But it didn't start on the cross. Crucifixion started with a scourging. When we look at some scriptures, we realize that the place, amen, called Calvary, that place of physical suffering, did not occur inside the city. But Jesus was crucified outside of the city. When we look at John 19, verses 17 and 20, we see these words. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. This title then read, many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified, was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. They crucified Jesus, but he was not alone. They crucified him with two other people beside him. And those persons were thieves. They were guilty of being thieves. One on his right hand and one on his left. When we look at the position that they put Jesus in, there was a thief on his right and a thief on his left. Being crucified between two thieves, which means he was the middleman. Why did they position him in the middle? Why would God put Jesus in the middle? When we see pictures of the crucifixion, amen, there's two crosses, but Jesus' cross is always a little higher than the others. I often wonder why they put Jesus in the middle. I would say that they put him in the middle for accessibility. In other words, both thieves had access both these could just lean over and talk to Jesus for themselves, whether they were on his right or whether on they were on his left. And I'm so glad Jesus was the high priest, although he not, did not act in the high priest role here upon the earth. He was high priest. He's the high priest of heaven. And, and so when we think about it, amen, to put Jesus on one side or the other would mean that the thief, amen, would have to go across one another in order to speak to Jesus. But I'm so glad that there's nothing and no one between me and my Savior. I can call on Jesus all by myself. I, I don't need to talk to nobody else. I don't need to go in and, 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 and confess to a priest. I could fall on my knees and have a little talk with Jesus. He's accessible to us. God made it so that one thief did not have to go across another to get to Jesus. There should be no one in between you and your relationship with God. Jesus was in the center because Jesus must be in the center of it all. Our lives should be Christ-centered and Holy Ghost-controlled. Jesus should always be in the center of your life. He should be the center of your life, the center of your finances, the center of your family. Our lives should be centered in Christ Jesus. The, uh, the one in the center, if you notice, 
Whenever you go to a meeting or you go to any place, amen, where there are people across the front, the person that's in the middle is always the one in control. We, we realize that when you have that seat in the middle of any session, that's the one that's in control. Whether it's the, uh, 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 Supreme Court or whether it's in the House of Representatives, the one that sits in the middle is the one that's in charge. Jesus was in the middle and between two, three thieves because Jesus was in charge. Hallelujah. And, 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 and Jesus, and Jesus was in the middle also because whatever's in the middle is what you tend to look at first or pay more attention to. Amen. You focus on things that are centered and in the middle. I guess when Jesus was hanging there on the cross, all eyes was on him because he was the center of the incident and the center of attraction. And so for, for, uh, uh, he hung in the middle so that he was accessible, that he was center, amen, that he was in charge, and that he had all eyes on him. First Peter 2 and 24 says this, he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. In other words, because Jesus died on the cross. Amen. So we might not have to die. And that, but since we don't have to die and he died in our place, then we should live for righteousness. Not our own righteousness, because all of our righteousness is as a filthy rags before God. But we live, amen, because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and by his wounds we have been healed we have been redeemed we have been set free now in last week's lesson we learned that crucifixion uh, was the death penalty and in crucifixion it, 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 it there was excruciating pain and excruciating physical pain if you didn't get a chance to see, amen, the lesson on crucifixion, I admonish you to go back and take a look at that. We dealt with a lot of the physical aspects of crucifixion. But crucifixion was a horrible death for even the worst of the worst in society. I could see, amen, amen, uh, crucifixion, amen, uh, sometimes, amen, looking at it, it would have been okay for those to be crucified like that when they have uh, harmed and, and been so bad and so heinous in society that it requires the death penalty. But crucifixion then, even for the worst of the worst, should not have occurred. But Jesus was not one of the worst of the worst. He did not create any crime. He was not Barabbas, who they decided to let go because he could, he, he had committed sedition in the city and he had actually committed murder. But they cried, Amen, crucify Jesus and let Barabbas go. But Jesus was an innocent man. Second Corinthians 5 and 21 tells us that God made him who had no sin, sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus knew no sin, but God made him sin for us. And because of our sins, 
And because we were not blameless, Jesus took our sins to the cross. The place, the place of physical anguish and pain. But not only was there physical suffering at Calvary, at Calvary was a place of intense mental anguish. It was a place of shame, a place of horror, and a place of agony, which carried out the which carried along with it the spiritual stigma of being cursed. We learn what Deuteronomy said about it. Deuteronomy 21 verses 22 through 23 lets us know that. When someone is convicted of a crime punishable by death and is executed and you hang him on a tree, his corpse must not remain all night upon a tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land that the Lord your God has given you for possession. Anybody that was hung upon a tree was the was cursed by God. That was the stigma of being crucified. But the intent of crucifixion was not only to inflict punishment to deter others, but also to cause as much public humiliation as possible. Go with me now to John chapter 19. And let's take a look at verses 23 and verses 24. Verses 23 and 24 says, When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven into one piece from top to bottom. And they said, let us not tear it, they said one to another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my garments. So this is what the soldiers did. They humiliated him by stripping him of his clothes and then had a crap game at the bottom of the cross, if you will. Amen. To see who was going to get what parts of his parts of his garments. But his undergarment, they would not tear it. Hallelujah. But they cast lots to see who would get it. Matthew 27 and 39 said this. That those that passed by hurled insults at him. Shaking their heads. Oh my God. You can you imagine somebody insulting you and looking at you, amen, in your agony and your pain, and just look at you and shaking their heads in pity for you? Amen. Or in disgust that you were even hanging there suffering. Not knowing that those that passed by and were hurled their insults for those that were shaking their heads, it was for them that Jesus had died. And, and, and so, you know, you could see the cross, amen, from far away. The cross could be seen. Matthew, verse 25 and 55, reading from the NIV, says these words. Many people were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. 
Amen. There were the women who had came there to the cross, but they watched from a distance. They were there to care for his needs. They humiliated Jesus. Even before his family and his friends, they humiliated him. Then they made a spectacle of him. Amen. Let's look at Matthew 27 and 36. Matthew 27 and 36 says this. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Now just think about it. These soldiers that were supposed to be watching Jesus, they were watching Jesus on the cross. Jesus was dying. But they decided that they were going to take a seat and sit down and watch Jesus die. My God, help me somebody. I never recognized that in the word of God till I was preparing for this lesson. But the soldiers actually sat down and they watched. And I asked myself, I said, well, why are the soldiers sitting down? And, uh, 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 they they, they should have been doing their job. If they were there for crowd control, they should have been standing God, watching over him. Not watching him, but watching the crowd. Whenever we see somebody standing God over somebody else, amen, we, we realize that they're not sitting down watching the person. They're watching, amen, the crowd. They're watching those that are standing around. When you see the Secret Service, they got something in their ear, and they're listening, and they're looking around, and they're paying attention to what is going on in the crowd. But these soldiers, to make a spectacle out of Jesus, they decided that they were going to abandon crowd control. They weren't going to stand there and watch God anymore, but they just wanted to stand around and watch Jesus. Christians, <laughs> Christians, sometimes we find that Christians are there, but they're not engaged. Sometimes Christians come to church. They're standing around, but they're not engaged. If these soldiers had gotten engaged in what was really going on, they may have realized that they were crucifying somebody that was different than all the rest. That this particular person that they were crucifying, amen, was the son of God. But they were not engaged. Some are, are, are church folk and some that are not church folk, we know they don't get engaged in the crucifix, crucifixion story. They don't get engaged in the crucifixion narrative. They don't even want you half the time to tell them about it. But Christians, you ought to be engaged. Amen. We're so busy doing other things, arguing about who has the most members and arguing about whether or not to get baptized in the name of this, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We're engaged in everything except what we should be engaged in. We should be engaged as we come to Passion Week, engaged with what happened to Jesus when he was crucified and hung upon the cross. Angels now, angels, angels keep watch over us. But they were sitting there looking at Jesus instead of doing their job. They mocked Jesus. They mocked Jesus. Not only did they humiliate him, not only did they 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 uh, 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 humiliate him, but not on, not only did they make a spectacle of him, but they mocked. Jesus. 
the Tertullus, the sign over his head read, Jesus, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. This is Jesus, king of the Jews. They mocked our Lord. Then they denied the power of Christ. They denied the power of Christ when they said, uh, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. They say, okay, you're talking about destroying the temple and building it again in three days. Come down and save yourself. Come down and save yourself. Now, now, and then they went on to mock him in this way. They said, if, pay attention to this one. If you are the son of God. Oh, that is the first time that Jesus heard these words. Because you remember in the temptation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Satan used these same words. He says, if you are the son of God. Amen. Turn these stones. Huh? Watch this now. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, Amen, thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Satan in here at the crucifixion was using people to get Jesus to end his suffering by denying his power. To end his suffering. Satan wanted Jesus to, to, to come down from that cross. All right. And, and to abandon doing his father's will. And had Jesus, amen, come down from the cross to save himself. Amen. If he had come down from that cross to save himself, amen, he would have put us right back into the garden of Gethsemane, right back to the fall of man, because he would have been disobedient to the father's will. If you are the son of God, amen, they said, amen, come down from the cross, amen. Uh, they denied the power of Christ because they did not realize that he could have come down and, and he would have come down and he should have come down. But it, the father's will is what he came to do. Not only did they, in mocking him, they denied the power of Christ, but they also denied the purpose of Christ. They said he saved others, but himself he cannot save. All right. He did not come to save himself. He came to die. But he came, but, but in dying, he was going, he was going to save others. He could have saved himself. But he would not save himself. He wanted to do his father's will. They denied his purpose by saying he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Then they denied the person of Christ. They said he trusted in God. Let him rescue him now. He trusted in God. Let God rescue him now. If he, God, delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. So now they're trying to deny the person of Christ. Jesus Christ was the son of God. He was the only begotten of the father, full of grace and of glory. But they tried to deny the person of Jesus Christ by mocking him. Sometimes folk will mock you, amen, try to try to get you, amen, to uh, turn around in who you really are. 
But if you know that you know that you know who you really are, it doesn't matter what folks say about you. It matters what God thinks about you. And so don't ever let anybody mock you to the point that they can turn you around and make you question who you are. Amen. For I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I have victory in the name of Jesus. I'm more than a conqueror for him that loved me. Amen. Amen. You got to know that you know that you know who you are in Christ Jesus and don't let nobody turn you around. You've got to be steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, he was mocked by three different groups. He was mocked by those that passed by and hurled the insults at him and shook their heads. Then he was mocked by the religious leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Then he was mocked also by the thieves that hung on the cross with him. Now, all this was done to the prince of peace, the shepherds of our hearts. And the lovers of our soul. So Calvary was the place of physical pain and agony. Calvary, amen, was the place of intense mental anguish. But Calvary was also a place of majesty. A place of majesty. In Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. It describes Calvary as a place of pain, suffering, and humiliation, and disgrace. But John's gospel portrays Calvary as a place of honor and a place of glory. From the perspective of the beloved disciple, Calvary is the place of Jesus' greatest glory, a display of power and grace. Both the Synoptic Gospels and John are true in all four Gospels. You see the grace and the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now Christ was born to die that we might live. That's why we live, move, and have our being in Jesus. We sing the song, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Now, each and every one of us was born under the penalty of death. We were born in sin and we were shaped in iniquity because of disobedience. Death was not Jesus's penalty. When he died on that cross, it was not his penalty. When they nailed Jesus to that cross, it was not his penalty. It was our penalty. It was our penalty. But although it was not Jesus's penalty, hallelujah, it was his destiny. 
Let me say that again. Although it was not Jesus' penalty, it was his destiny. Calvary was a completion of a mission. Calvary was the completion of his mission. In John 18 and 37, we find these words. Pilate, therefore, Pilate, therefore, said unto him, Art thou king of the Jews? Then Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. For six hours Jesus hung on that cross. For six hours he hung on that cross. He spoke seven times in those six hours. The first three are horizontal, dealing with humanity. The first word that he said was forgiveness. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Then he went on and spoke a word of redemption. Then compassion. Hallelujah. The last four sayings are vertical engaging his father in the act of redemption. So the first three words were horizontal and it spoke to his dealings with humanity. The last four are vertical engaging his father in the act of redemption. Abandonment, readiness, fulfillment, release. These were the seven last words of Jesus Christ. Now, when he was hanging on Calvary, when he was hanging on that cross, things began to happen. And there were some responses to him hanging on that cross. The first response was nature's response. The shy, hallelujah, Hallelujah. When we think about the, 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 the shy that were there, amen, and the timid that were there, they began to move away from Calvary because everything turned black. The sky turned unto darkness. The sky turned unto darkness because the light of the world was covered with sin and with darkness. Jesus said in John 9 and 4, I must work the works of them who sent me while it is day, because night come when no man can work. Night come when no man can work. When Jesus died on Calvary, it turned to darkness. Hallelujah. The sun was blotted out. But I'm here to tell you that although the light of the world was covered in darkness, God knows how to work in the dark. Amen. 
God does his best work in the dark. When we think about creation, when God stepped out on total darkness and he said, let there be light. But not only was it darkness, but there was an earthquake. Nature is responding. There was an earthquake and the earthquakes, amen, began to shake, amen. And, and in the midst of the earthquake, the veil of the temple was ripped twain from top to bottom. Hallelujah. God worked in darkness. Hallelujah. God worked on the darkness of our sinful souls, our sin-sick souls. For while we were yet in darkness, while we were yet sinners, and we were walking in darkness, God, hallelujah, showed us the light of his son, Jesus Christ, in our hearts. The people that walketh in darkness has seen a great light, and upon them had that light shining. That was God moving in the midst of our darkness. God, the Father, he responded. Not only did nature respond, not only did creation respond, but God also responded. God responded in silence. It was his eternal plan that was being put into action. If we look at Revelation 13 and 8, it says these words. And all that dwelt upon the earth shall worship him whose names are written in the book of life, uh, in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God was silent. Because we realized that he was working a plan that he had set into action before he even created the world. But I'm so glad that God loved us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. That we might have a right to the tree of life. I'm getting ready to close, but I want to tell you a little story before I close, there was a man who went fishing with two young boys. And while they were out on the boat fishing on the lake, a storm rose and began to blow and the winds began to blow and the boat turned over. And in the midst of the boat turning over, the two boys went in the water now, mind you. The father didn't have any life vests on these boys, and they couldn't swim. So now he's in the midst of making a decision. Which one of these boys am I going to save? So he made his decision, and he swam over to one of the boys, grabbed him, and swam to the shore. He went back, amen, to look for the other boy, but he was nowhere to be found, only to find out later that he drowned, he died. And they asked the father, they said, they said, why did you choose this boy? And he said, well, neither one of them could swim. But my son was saved. He knew the Lord Jesus Christ. So I swam and got the other boy and brought him to shore. I don't know why God did what he did.
But we all are the other boy. God allowed his son to die that we might have the right to live. And so we can't go around, amen, spending our lives, amen, now, not even recognizing or not feeling anything about the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For Jesus died upon the cross for me. He, the, he, he didn't do anything wrong, and we can't put the blame on him. But Jesus died that we might have a right to the tree of life. He died that he might purchase our salvation and reconcile us back to the Father. It was God's plan. I remember picking up my son one day from school. And as he got in the car, he waved to this boy that was coming out the school the same time that he was. And I said, hey, Ronald, who's that, your friend? He said, no, Dad, that's my enemy. And I said, your enemy? He said, yes, that's my enemy. I said, well, why are you waving and smiling? He said, Dad, didn't the Bible say that we should love our enemies? I said, you're right, son. And, and, and I had to think about what he had just said. And, and, and I told you that story to say this, that God, we were enemies with God. But I thank God that in the midst, hallelujah, of us being his enemies, in the midst of us being separated from him through our sin and iniquity, God had a son who realized that although we were enemies with God, that we were, amen, deserving of his love and salvation. So in Genesis 22 and 2, it says this. He said, he, amen, that God's talking to Abraham. He said, now take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I tell you. We realize, amen, that Abraham took Isaac up onto the mountain and he built the hallelujah, an altar to offer up his son as a burnt offering. But oh, when Abram lifted up the knife to slay the boy, Isaac, God told him, don't harm the lad. Abraham, Abraham, look over in the bush. Caught in the thicket of the bush, there was a lamb. And so Abraham sacrificed that lamb. And I want to tell you tonight, I thank God that he did, for Jesus was the lamb of God. And although God would not allow Abraham to kill his own son, his only son, the one that he loved with all of his heart, that God allowed his son, his son, his only son, his only begotten son, which he loved so much, Amen. God killed him on a hill called, not Moriah, but a hill called Calvary. So as we conclude this teaching tonight on the cross of Calvary, let us prepare our hearts and our minds to hear the seven last words of Christ. Wherever you watch it at, amen, we ask that you prepare yourselves to hear those words. Hallelujah, to hear those words. Praise God. 
Hallelujah. Those seven last words from the cross of Jesus. We thank you for sharing with us today here in Reflections in the Word. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider becoming a partner with us in building the kingdom of God. We thank God for you as we, amen, continue to think in this Passion Week on the teachings concerning the cross of Calvary, the cross, the crucifixion, hallelujah, the cross, the crucifixion, and Calvary. Let us think about these things as we now get ready to engage in the seven last words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if you don't have somewhere to go to hear those seven last words of Christ, you can join us here on Wednesday night where we'll be broadcasting at 7 o'clock p.m. You don't want to miss it. God bless you. May heaven bless you tonight. May heaven smile upon you in Jesus' name. We praise you. We give you all glory and honor. We give you glory for the name of Jesus. Glory to his name. Down at the cross where my Savior died. Down where from cleansing from sin I cried. Glory to his name.